Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Thank you for joining me today. I, uh, I appreciate you being here. You could be listening to so many other podcasts, but you decided to tune in to your buddy, Leo Flowers. We are pals. We're buddies. We're friends. We're familia. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I'm excited about today's guest. We have Kara Sennett. Uh, this episode is it's intense. It's uh, it's deep, and <clears throat> but you're gonna enjoy it. There's so many nuggets in this. I took like a million notes in this uh, episode, and I say it's intense, not in the graphic uh, saw horror movie <laughs> intensity. That that movie's just disgusting. Because one of the things um, when I have guests on who are talking about their traumas, I try to get them to, I try to get them, I am encouraging them to not share the details of the traumatic experiences. You know, it's like trauma is trauma. We don't need to get into the the weeds of things. And, uh, and so so Kara is alluding to traumatic experiences, but at no point are we getting into the, 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 the minute details of any of it. But with that said, I will say that, um, you know, things may come up for you during this episode. So have somebody that you are uh, ready to call, that you can email, that you can reach out to. Don't Don't listen to this. Before bed is what I'm trying to tell you. You know, uh, listen to this, you know, during a hike or or maybe go get an acai bowl after, or, you know, get get some get some mangoes or go toss a frisbee or something after. So um, I, I think a lot of times we take in information, news stories, and we think we can handle it because we're adults. But the truth of the ma- truth of the matter is, is that. Um, it gets stored in our tissues. And so if we don't have a way of releasing it, whether it's through yoga or uh, foam rolling or, you know, just going outside, having a little chit chat. So have a way to decompress after this episode or listen to it in bits and pieces. But I enjoyed this episode from beginning to end. Uh, We talked about how to set boundaries. Uh, Cara is an 18-year Army veteran uh, in England. And she has kids, she's married, has a, a dog, and has uh, attempted suicide three times and struggles with, you know, anxiety, depression, and is currently in therapy. So we get to hear a, a journey. And she reminded me at the end of the episode, after we stopped recording, that she's just now starting her mental health journey. Um, you know, and this is years after seeking mental health and just trying to find the right team, the right people. And so we get to hear all of that and what she's learned and the books that she's read and how she copes with nightmares. And, um, you know, we talked about setting boundaries with her kids and her family and, and how she self soothes and, um, it's just so many, so many nuggets in here and, um, the different iterations of her, her therapeutic journey and, how she has learned to express her feelings as time goes on. Uh, once again, if you're, if 
feel you're, like you are in a crisis situation, please you go, on to, go into the show notes. There are numbers no matter where you are in the world to the 1-800-SUICIDE uh, number, the 1-800-273-TALK. If you're international, their phone numbers, no matter where you are, if you're in England, Asia, Malaysia, wherever, uh, South Peru, Peru, but no matter where you are, there's a number in the show notes for you. So you can call, you can talk, you can text, you can chat, uh, and they're just they're groups. There are resources there for you. So uh, you can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. If you are struggling with feeling alone, abandoned, not connected, and you're just thriving. If you're that person that's thriving in your career, but you're suffering in your relationships, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching. And let's get to tomorrow together. With that said, let's jump into the episode. What what part of England are you? Um, it's a small town called County Durham. And it's the northeast part of England. So around Newcastle and Sunderland area. I've in, I um, invited you on because, you know, I, we follow each other on Twitter and mm-hmm. you've been so vulnerable in, in sharing your stories and and what you've been going through in terms of struggling with depression, anxiety, uh, CPTSD. Is that what that chronic pain, post-traumatic? Uh, it's, it's complex PTSD. So it's not just a single event. There's multiple of events and traumas that I've had to deal with. So it's not just as simple as one traumatic event. There's lots to it. So I was previously just diagnosed with complex PTSD. So it's a lot more to peel back and work out. And you are currently in therapy for that, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So can you give us some backstory on the, uh, without too much detail, but mm-hmm. of what uh, were the events that culminated into the CPTSD? Yeah, I mean, um, my therapist, when I first met her, it was a lot, you know, how was your childhood and, you know, I would shut that down straight away and go, yeah, it was fine. You know, my mum was there, my dad left on and off and he was a bit of an alcoholic. So, but to me, you know, I wasn't abused in any way. You know, I wasn't hurt in any way, you know, so it was just a normal childhood. But the more and more I've been vulnerable with her and opened up, the more, Actually, you know, yes, my dad was an alcoholic. You know, my granddad died when I was, um, I want to say 14, 16, something like that. And he lived in Canada. So whenever he came across, there was just such a massive love and affection that I had for him. He was just mesmerizing. I adored him. So when he passed away from cancer, and I was told about this. I was sat on the stairs and no one asked me if I was all right. And I just carried on like nothing had ever happened. You know, my mum never said, are you okay? And neither did my dad. And, you know, and then he left um, in and out of our lives constantly, you know, and was an alcoholic. But 
it never affected me at the time, I would say. I was more, no, you know, my, I was always wanting to join the army from a really young age. I was in the cadets and I absolutely loved it. It was such a passion of just traveling and meeting new people and, and giving everything a go. So I was 17, just, just not long before I turned 18 and went to join the army and off I went. Um, I was in for about two years, three years max. I went to my new unit and unfortunately there, after about a year or so, I you know, was sexually abused, harassed, bullied you know, by uh, my sergeant at the time in front of officers who you would think would stop these or, you know, say something or speak up. So you try not to let anybody know. You just laugh it off or brush it away, you know. Just think that it's the norm because you don't say anything about it. You just accept it. You think it's joke and a banter, but you don't want to turn around and say, that, that's you've stepped the line there so that was like the first instance and then I carried on with my career because you know I just thought it'll be okay things will turn around which they did because you know I met my husband and I had a baby and things was going really good um I went to Afghan the first time round, which was um, just such a life experience for me and the best tour I ever had you know, and I came off that with getting promoted and it was just outstanding and really just such a sense of passion and worth, you know, a, a meaning and just seeing the camaraderie between people and the get together and the buddy buddy system that you have to support each other. It was just outstanding, you know what I mean? And it was powerful. Um, I was home for about a year and then said I'll go again. And unfortunately, on that tour, things just didn't work out. You know, I, I just was overworked, you know, unsupported, alone, isolated. Um, so many factors to that tour. Um, and on that tour was one of the times when, you know, things got a bit out of hand. Um, I got some medical help and... And just try to carry on from there. And that was in 2014. But you just sense that something's wrong. Something's just not quite right. And things just started to begin and spiral out of control from there, really. And when you say spiral out of control, um, you, you know, there were moments where, you know, as I, I followed the feed and read your blogs, you know, I know that there were a few attempts mm -hmm. after your your last attempt. What what did you do to to pull yourself out of that? Like, how did you what what, what how did you pull yourself from the last attempt? Um, the last attempt. It was the day before my son's tenth birthday, and. You know, I, my husband came in. I was pushing everybody away. Just You just don't want to hear anything. You don't want to be vulnerable with anyone. You don't trust anyone. Um, and he came in and I screamed and shouted at him and, and, and walked out. And, you know, tablets, medication that I was on for chronic pain were just in, a, you know, an, an outlay. But 
when that happened and I was out walking, I just left the house and went. It was either I collapse here or I need to do something. So I messaged a friend and said, oh, you know, are you in? She's like, yeah. I was like, do you, she, she, she replied, do you want to go for a walk? I was like, the only place I need to go is hospital. So fortunately, she drove me to hospital and, and I got sorted there. But I was then referred to the crisis team. And when they came to see me in the hospital, I at the time when I was leaving the army, I had um, a person called a personal recovery officer who's a one-to-one that you go to, who's meant to support you and guide you in your transition with leaving the army. And she come and was just, you need to talk to somebody, you need to tell them what's going on. But by this time, I'd been let down so many times by other therapists, um, you know, people leaving, not being able to open up because you just didn't know how to feel any of these emotions or what they were in what was going on really it was just so confusing and painful but I sat there in the hospital when my son came in to open his presents and I said what have I done do you know and and that's the most gut-wrenching thing so when the crisis team came I told them everything you know just opened my heart and said I need help you know so when I met a therapist three days later after I was released from hospital, she said to me, would you do it again? And I just said, yes, because I knew I needed some serious help. So when I said yes and that I couldn't say that I would be safe, I was then placed into hospital for about three weeks, it was. You, you, you know, at that time, and I really want to highlight this point. Uh, it sounds like you said yes, even though maybe you were feeling no because you were so uh, you didn't want to do that to your son again. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of us are undergoing pain that's at like a five or a six on a scale of ten. And sometimes mm-hmm. we have to say the pain is at a ten, so that we can get our pain levels down to a one or zero because if if we keep walking around saying I'm okay, it's manageable. It's about a five or six. Then, then you don't really get the help that you really need because the, you know, as you know, you know, uh, suffering with chronic pain and any other type of pain, it's not always at a 10, right? Like we're not always wanting to end our lives. But mm-hmm. and so they might ask you at a moment where you're at a three or a five, but mm-hmm. that 10 is right around the corner. So it's, it's always better to say, I'm at a 10 so that you can get the help you need. And then you can scale it back versus this continuous acting as if um, uh, we're at a four or a five. But sometimes we do have to... Um, I don't want to say exaggerate it, but mm-hmm. share uh, share what we've been going through at our at our lowest, so that mm-hmm. we can get the best help at the get the help at at its highest. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I I appreciate you sharing that. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> people don't want to ask for help. I think they've, especially the military side of it. 
we are so, you know, told to be strong, be brave, you know, never show any weakness or vulnerability or you basically turned into this robot of emptiness or no feelings. Like I didn't even like somebody said to me, how do you feel? It's either happy or sad. Yeah, I'm fine. But there isn't, there's, um, you know, I'm scared or I'm sad today or actually I feel a bit on edge or there's so many more feelings and emotions out there that people don't understand. And I never understood any of it because I was, you know, I never had any feelings when I was growing up and I never certainly had any feelings in the army because you were told not to feel basically. So trying to be vulnerable and you know open and honest is is some of the hardest things that I've had to do in order to get better really and I would imagine that that being open and honest has uh, increased the intimacy in your marriage with your husband and increased the closeness with you and your son yes I mean the therapist I'm with now um, since I've left the army because I, things just weren't sound, things weren't right so I met this new therapist and I don't know what I've learned in the past year and a half and how I've grown is I don't even know how to explain it it's life transforming really um, to sit and have a conversation with my son after I've screamed and shouted at him to be able to explain you know sorry I did that and I apologize more to him rather than just scream my head off and you know give him a slap because it's not right but that's you know my temperament at that time which is reducing more and more and more now with my husband you know it's been probably the the most hardest four years of our lives we were very close to getting a divorce and separating. I kicked him out time and time again because I was relying on pain medication, alcohol. You know, I was out drinking, partying and just left him really to deal with the kids. And I didn't want anything to do with him. But it's what you do to cope, you know. But now I can, I'm being a lot more vulnerable with him. I'm not fully there yet, you know. But I'm able to say, look, I just don't feel it at the moment or I'm not happy today, uh, you know. And now I'm coming home and more and more and tell him, oh, this is what I did in therapy today. You know, so it's growing and it's it is it has made us so much more closer. And there's a new us, if you know what I mean now, compared to what we were four years ago, which was two separate people living in a house. So what what you said this, the the therapy that you're undergoing right now, the past year and a half has been Mm -hmm. life transforming. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you give us, especially the listeners and, and be as detailed and really take your time because there's so many people out there who don't have access to life transforming therapy. Um, you know, for different reasons. And as you said, you have to go through a a number of therapists to find this therapist. So what Mm -hmm. are some of the applicable things that you've learned 
that you've you've put into practice to help that's been life transforming for you? Well, you know, at the beginning, I wouldn't talk. I'd just be like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, <laughs> let's crack on. But it was just, you, you, you've got to click with a person. You've got to be able to be vulnerable with this person and share every single feeling and emotion that you're feeling to be able to move forward. You know, I did some therapy called um, EMDR therapy. Um, and I was trying my best to, you know, express how I was feeling, the situation, where it was going. But it was too traumatic for me and I just couldn't cope with it. Now, the most amazing thing was they don't just fob you off and think, oh, well, that therapy hasn't worked. It's not going to work for you. You know, she sat and she, you know, she researched herself and was like, right, we're going to do this therapy now. And now I'm doing a narrative exposure therapy. And we set out a timeline from when I was born to where I'm at now. And a flower would represent something good or a stone would represent um, trauma. A candle would represent loss. So we did a timeline through my life and we're just working through this timeline at the moment. Now, Along with that, it's about education. You know, I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know any words to how to even express what was going on in my head or anything. And sometimes in a session, I was unable to express these feelings. And it would confuse me so much, but it wouldn't be till like the next morning at three o'clock or two o'clock when I'm like, not able to sleep because of all this emotion and thoughts going through my head where, you know, I was able to just email, email and get it down, writing it down, thinking, this is what I'm thinking. This is what is happening or I'm feeling or the thoughts, you know, can you make any sense out of this? Because I can't. But then the next time I would see her, she would be like, right, this is it. This, you know, <laughs> these are the reasons why you're feeling this way, um, like lockdown, when this lockdown happened in COVID, I was struggling to feel like I would cope. And I even said to my husband, I want to go back to hospital because I don't think I'm going to cope. I don't think I can survive. And I was not understanding why. Now, what happened in Afghanistan when I was there these are linked together so it's the lockdown the isolation the loneliness so it's triggers so you know covid has triggered me a lot um and i'm learning to cope every time there's a new lockdown to be able to just keep them feelings and let them and feel them and not run away from them and think that you're never going to be able to cope or they're going to be too strong and then another thing was I think I started with her in the March and I was going away in the April to Dunkirk in France to do some work. And she said, go and read this book. And it was a book by Brene Brown called Daring Greatly. So on the train right there, I found the nearest bookshop in the train station and rang them and said, have you got it? And they were like, yes, I've got one. And I read it and it was just eye-opening. You know, so again, it's education and, and taking your time to learn because if you want to get better 
and you want it so badly that you're willing to do anything to read, to learn, to listen, to be vulnerable and be honest and open. The book, Brene Brown, she, um, I, I forget the power of vulnerability, I think was her first book. I'm not, I don't quite remember, but she does mm-hmm. talk a lot about vulnerability. What were mm-hmm. some of your takeaways from that book, Daring Greatly, or, or at least one takeaway? What stood out to you? There was just, uh, I can't think of one particular one, really. I know she was going on a lot about the veterans and that she's worked with, and it was just vulnerability. The word alone is, is stuck with me because it's, I think she says vulnerability is not weakness, and it's not. It's so you you are so strong and so powerful when you are being vulnerable because it's, you grow by being vulnerable. You know, just think of who the person I was um, just over a year and a half ago. I'm not who the person I am now. I mean, I would not be doing this. Um, I would not be doing videos for the NHS to say that, the, you know, the treatment I'm receiving has been outstanding. I just wouldn't do that because I wouldn't have the confidence or the belief, the self-belief even, that I'm, I'm good enough or worthy enough to do anything like that. Well, I, I definitely want to thank you for having the courage and vulnerability to share your story. I know this uh, it's not easy to mm-hmm. reshare your narrative. Uh, I do love that uh, on your recent Twitter post, you talked about how when we do share our story, it's a it's a way uh, for other people to to help other people heal because maybe they can they can learn something from your story. And also it, it helps us to grow when we share what we've been through. And that doesn't mean wallowing. And I think that a lot of people mm-hmm. struggle with sharing their story because they don't want to sound like they're complaining or like they are a victim and really it's in the the sharing of our story that allows us to grow evolve and transform as as you've shared yeah um i mean i've only i think lockdown was when i first started to write my first blog um and i just thought i've got feelings in me i've got thoughts and emotions and and stories of what I've done or what's happened to me. And yes, I can be angry at the people that have done it, or I can be angry at the world. And I am angry at times, but you can't be angry forever. And, you know, that's something, again, that I'm probably still learning. But I just think there's so many people out there that are so scared to be vulnerable or say, I'm struggling or I'm hurting. And, you know, I just think if it reaches one person, my story or a blog or a post and they, and it has done, people have messaged me and said, I can really relate to that. Um, I think the one about my granddad, we, um, I said about suppressing emotions because I'm so good at doing that, <laughs> you know, keeping it all hidden away and tucked down and it's not healthy because I suppressed all that and it come back to bite me in the butt 20 years later. You know, so um, another post I shared um, on my Facebook about a suicide, a a girl who I hadn't spoke to for 15 years messaged me and said, 
I'm really struggling and what you've just shared, is it okay to open up to you and just say that this is what I'm struggling with? And she attempted herself and, you know, she's in, in, in the beginning of her journey. And just to say to her that it is going to be hard. These journeys aren't easy, but the outcome of where you can be, how you can grow and then learn and enjoy your life. Yes, there'll be blips and there'll be ups and downs still. Um, you know, the memories, the nightmares, they'll, they'll happen, but it's about just accepting them and and not hiding away from them or suppressing them, just feeling it in that moment and accepting them. So when you do have a nightmare, what's your process for that? Do you stay in bed? Do you get up and write? Do you pace around the house? What's your... Your protocol. Um, no, normally it's a, a three o'clock email. Either I'll email the therapist to go, I can't sleep because this has happened, or this is what I'm feeling. Um, or I have to have the bedroom window open just to feel the breeze. And you know, if that's shut and it happens, I have to immediately open the window and just breathe. Um, I come downstairs and, and just. At the moment, sometimes I'd self-wallow after a nightmare and think, gosh, these are annoying, you know. But I've seen, um, I can't even remember where I've seen it, a post saying, after a nightmare, why don't you get up, go outside, look at the clouds, take a deep breath and just watch them move. And it's just, everything's moving away. And I was like, wow, that's such a great, you know, process and i must try that next time so that is my next goal to to give it give that a go i love that you know Mm -hmm. it's one of the reasons when when i'm upset or anxious i like to go to a farmer's market because i mean i know it's tough right now in a lockdown but it just reminds me that things are still moving or Mm -hmm. you know when you go on a nature walk or even i think that's part of the beauty of walking along the beach is the the you see the waves coming and going like nothing is in a permanent state mm-hmm. and yeah. so it becomes a reminder that our emotions our feelings our whatever we're going through like the nightmare doesn't last forever it's it's intermittent and uh and sometimes they're going to be stronger than others yeah exactly you know there's ups and downs you know, um, I have difficulties with driving vehicles now. I mean, it never bothered me. I'd drive all night and all day and from other countries to back home. You know, after tour, things just went right. So now I have to listen to my body and know when things are changing, know when, you know, my hands start clenching, my jaw tightens, you know, my um, I get pins and needles in my feet and, you I, I do a I dissociate a lot so I, I need to realize when these are happening and now I'm learning, they're doing a tapping button tapping so I cross my arms and tap on each other and you know watch my parachute jump video or play a good song that's happy memories or you know listen to something just positive to be able to just bring myself back down and ground myself. There's so many techniques out there. It's just finding the right one for you to 
get through that traumatic experience at that time. I, I love the tapping, something I, I definitely have done also, where I tap the middle of my forehead uh, mm-hmm. or different parts of my body. For the listeners out there, and, and also just so I can, I can hear, have you distinguished um, the difference between depression and suicidality? Like in terms of how that feels uh, to the body? I, I go through depressive episodes, like, and I can feel low and, you know, not fully with the day-to-day life of things. Um, but on the three attempts that I've done it, there's different, there's different types, I feel. So the first was like a cry for help. So, you know, I knew I needed to talk to somebody because I knew I needed to report what was happening, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't want my life to end. I just needed some help. Um, But then the second time I was so disassociated with like in that moment, it was like watching how I explained it to my therapist. It was like watching a movie from far back and I'm watching this process unfold, but stuck in a way of what I don't understand what's happening here. You know, and and it it was honestly as if I'd just like woken up from a sleep or a dream or a nightmare or whatever to think what on earth was I doing? And then, you know, the, the next time was, no, I want to end my life. Like I am at rock bottom when I don't feel anything. I feel numb. I feel empty. I my pet, my body, you can feel the body in physical pain. Like it's amazing what the, what the body can do and make you feel. There's, but, the, you know, when I have a depressive episode, you're able to say, it's okay, this is going to pass. Like you, you can function more, I feel, for myself. I don't know whether I'm probably going off track here, but, you know... When you are suicidal, at that point of what the point, what what is the point? There's no point, just I'd rather not be here. That's a scary point to be at. And like I, I, I did a post the other day, would you ring for help if you felt suicidal? And I think nearly 80% of people said no. You know, how do you catch that point to stop somebody or stop yourself? Do you have a a routine that you and your therapist have worked on to kind of mitigate and help manage the emotions, the the pain, the depressive episodes? Um, I mean, I think it's just a, a factor of all sorts of, you know, reading a good book, listening to a good book, you know, listening to podcasts, getting out, 
um, in nature, um, calling a friend, like telling somebody that you're not okay. Um, Because I'd learned to just deal with it on my own for so long. The hardest thing is just to say to somebody that I'm not okay. And I'm doing that more and more and more. So, you know, there is there has been times, I'd say probably about nine months ago, when the thoughts of I don't want to be here again, they're different now from the time when I actually didn't want to be here. They're more, no, this is just a feeling. This is just, you know, a difficult time at the moment. You are nowhere near rock bottom because you've been there before. And where I am now is not rock bottom. So now I can feel and sense how low I do get. And it's not anywhere near as low as, you know, previous times. You know, self-care, taking time for you, setting boundaries, saying what you need that, you know, during lockdown, I said to my husband, I'm going to go out for a walk. I'm going to just go, you know, go meet a friend when we're allowed. And, and I have to have a day where I just go out walking. You know, he doesn't really want to go camping. And I'm like, I have to go camping because just being out in the freedom in the middle of nowhere, just listening sometimes to nothing. And looking at the stars is the most peaceful, grounding thing where you can allow to feel and allow to process any emotions that are there that you may be suppressing. I love that. How to listen to nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes there's so much in your head that you don't know where to start. You don't know how to fix any of it. But I mean, the way I, on the picture you see where I went for a walk, it's called Nose's Point. And just to sit there sometimes, and like you say, you listen to the waves, it empties the head. And it, it in a way, it gives me a sense of order and a sense of, right, okay. Well, actually, I was feeling a bit anxious when that happened. I wonder, you know, what's that relating to? Or, you know, that made me really angry because that person said that. But why? Why has that made me angry? And it gives yourself time to just stop. Let the world rush around behind you and just focus on you. Because so many people don't focus on themselves. They're more worried about everybody else. But you forget about you, but you're the main person. That If you don't look after you, how can you look after your family or your kids? Are there things that, because you talked about setting boundaries and, you know, we're talking about emotional intelligence. Are there things that you don't do now? For instance, I don't watch the news. I'll read mm-hmm. the news, but I just, it just undoes me. I, I don't watch the news. Are there things that you don't do because of it? it it's too much for you. Um, the news. I mean, just in <laughs> general, just anything. Yeah, you no, know. <laughs> the news is a very big one. Um, I don't retaliate a lot now. So, you know, I would get angry at 
everything or if say somebody posted something and I don't want to just scream back at them that it's all rubbish when now I'm able to sit and and probably empathize more or respect somebody more you know where I had so much pent-up anger you know and at times that still happens um what else do I do I'm a lot less the kids they would drive me insane and I would just lose it with them now if they're completely uh, you know drowning me out I'm able to just sit stop a moment before I explode in order to just bring myself back in to then have a proper conversation you know and to explain what they've done and educate them more you know um I set boundaries with my family well you should be doing this you should be doing that you know I should be opening up to more to my family well it's a personal thing for me at the moment so if I don't want to travel down to use I don't want to travel down to use because I don't want to I'm not at the right time you know um I say no saying no is important love that saying no is and and without mm-hmm. explanation i think you know i know for me i'm learning that i i you can we can say no and we don't have to follow up with an explanation no is enough mm-hmm. and uh you, you don't need to know all the factors into it uh except that um but you know also i love the fact that to go back just a little bit when you said mm-hmm. uh in terms of expressing your emotions of saying i'm not okay and what I love about that phrase, I'm not okay, is most of us don't have an extensive emotional vocabulary to express mm-hmm. what we are feeling. And if we just start off with, I'm not okay, then that at least gets the conversation going. And someone who really cares about you, you know, will help you dig a little deeper or it'll get the ball rolling for you to accept that you're not okay and then to take some steps to move forward because uh, i think it's so hard for most of us even for myself you know mm-hmm. who has a, a master's in psychology it's it's hard for me to decipher what i'm feeling um you know half the time so I, to start with i'm not okay is uh, is a beautiful and and very easy entry point without doubt because there's too much of I'm fine. But are you fine? Really? Like what really is going on? Because I'm fine to me is just the worst thing you can say, I feel. But like you say, you know, saying that I'm not okay, but why are you not okay? What's happening? To be able to just unpick somebody, you know, it, it, it's a conversation starter. Now, I didn't know anything about feelings or emotions or anything. And again, listening to um, Brene's podcast on Unlocking Us uh, during this lockdown. I mean, I never read a book before lockdown. I don't even know what number book I'm on at the moment. But I read um, Permission to Feel. 
by Mark Beckett. I just listened to that. Gosh, that made me understand feelings and emotions and that you are allowed to feel that it's no sign of weakness. It's, 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 it's okay to feel and it's not going to kill you. You know, which I've thought in the past that if I let anything in or I feel anything, it will break me. And where did that um, idea come from? What, you know, I know you're doing the the narrative uh, story with your therapist. Where did that mm-hmm. idea that um, feeling something would break you? I think, you know, like I mentioned, you're not allowed to feel anything. You know, you can't show a sign of weakness. You show a sign of weakness in within your company or your troop or your section, you are pointed out. You are, you know, I was pointed out. I was told, well, you're weak, you're pathetic, you know, you need to man up, that awful man up. You know, it's, and this was done by, people that you think have your back but I showed that sign of weakness and they jumped right on it so it's easy enough just to show nothing feel nothing it's the safest thing to do so you know I didn't know about feelings it was easy enough to just not feel and I, I know that you also have a dog. I'm sure that uh, that's helped you to feel a lot of things because they have such unconditional love. Has that brought out some emotions or feelings and, and helped you in any way? Oh, he's probably saved my life more times than one. Um, there's a, a screensaver on my phone and it's uh, me looking at the dog and the dog's looking at me and it's in black and white and it's overlooking where I was used to sit at Nose's Point. Now, before my last attempt, I would sit there and sit there and think, oh God, I just want to jump. I just want to fall and not feel and just end the pain inside me. But I lost a dog uh, back in oh, 2000 and 13, I think it was. Oh, sorry, 2014, I lost a, a dog. And then when we were in Cyprus and things started declining with my mental health, on the program on a radio station, they were like, oh, dogs are meant to be really good for PTSD and, you know, they're meant to just, you know, show love and care and support. So that's how I got the husband to agree to have another one. <laughs> and um, he's just a lifesaver when we were used to sit on the cliff edge the only thing I could think of was I couldn't do it because I couldn't let him try and find his way home on his own because I knew he wouldn't and I couldn't do that to him so he stopped me in a way but it is like the the times when you're alone and you can just say come here boy and you know snuggle up and tell him that you're sad or tell him that you're just alone or upset or about anything you just know it's not going to go any further 
I love that. I, I've never had a dog, but I anytime someone has a dog, I can just feel myself completely softening immediately. Mm-hmm. So there, there is something to be said about uh, having a pet. When when we when we talk about emotions, and I don't know if you've been through this with your therapist, but have you noticed that you feel different emotions in different parts of your body? Yeah, I do. Um, I've got um, bilateral hip dysplasia, so my head of my femur doesn't fit in my hip sockets properly. So I've had a few surgeries on that. Um, but along with that, I feel a lot of my tension, you know, if I'm stressed and or angry or um, at my I pan panicky or anything. It goes straight to my hips. Um, I have an issue with my jaw called TMJ, and I have to wear a splint because of the grinding and the and the, the tension that it builds up. So you just clench your jaw. That you just, you know, the I think I I started reading a book called The Body Keeps a Score, but I couldn't because it was just wow, like what the body does because of trauma, it, it, it's unbelievable. You know, I, I get pins and needles. Um, my hands, like when I was driving, my hands clench around the steering wheel like it just will not let go. So what did I say the other day? It was like, you're going to get put into a bin bag and just everything's going to, be sucked out of you like every bit of progress or it's it's sometimes really difficult to explain but it's like somebody's just sinking you back down and just covering you back up and, and going no you, you're not allowed to grow or you've got to be worried about it all it's really crazy what the mind can make the body feel Absolutely. You know, and I've heard from so many people about that book, Body Keeps the Score, that it's too much. It's too, mm-hmm. um, it's an amazing book, but uh, it's also because the stories are so specific and detailed and intense that mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's uh, very much triggering or re-traumatizing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's got great reviews. Uh, but I just, I haven't even read it and because of that reason. And I've just like looked at the uh, YouTube book reviews <laughs> yeah. to kind of get the gist of it. <laughs> uh-huh. But it is, it's, it's what the body can do, you know, the, the, the mind and the body and, you know, what, the, what trauma does to your body, not just alone your mind, but what it does to your body, it's, it's, painful i would imagine also having a dog having kids and a husband there are moments of uh extreme joy where do you feel that in the body um it's my i would say my chest mm-hmm. and the front of my head you know you know the the, the front of the head like that i'm proud I'm proud of them for sticking by me at my worst, you know, on the verge of 
being an alcoholic and you know um being distant and never wanting to be anywhere near him not even hold them or cuddle them you just can you just leave me alone kind of aspect but I sit there now and my son went for a run today it's because he had to do it for PE and he had to do a mile and he came back and I was like wow I was like well done because that is a good time for a mile when you've not done anything for ages because of lockdown and just sitting doing classroom work and I did my chest filled up with prideness because well I can feel that now you know I'm proud of them <laughs> I can hear it in your voice Mm. is there is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think would be of value to anyone struggling with depression salt anxiety cptsd yeah you need to be you need to run your treatment it's your treatment you need to want it and I just feel that if it's not right, say it's not right. You know, don't be this, as the military would say, yes, sir, no, sir. You know, I'll just accept what I'm given because no, you know, you're either not in the military no more. So you are allowed to say no and you're allowed to say, I don't agree with that. Or you're still in the military and you have a voice and use it. There's so many people that get silenced. Um, and for anybody that's just starting their recovery journey, it's going to be the hardest time of your lives. But what it will grow into is special. You know, I'd say even magical in a way, you know. I went for a walk the other day with a friend. She's not in the military, but she's been having struggles with her mental health. But she's one of the strongest people I know. And when we were out walking, I was just watching her. And it was just as if I could envision a jigsaw piece, just filling her body, the outer scale of her body back up to feel whole again. And it's just just what that nature walk did to her was able to just keep going for another week, another month, another two months. It I tried, I, I've wanted to quit so many times therapy because it's so hard. So hard, but to anybody that's just like say starting, please just keep going. You will have them ups and downs, and it's it's a roller coaster of emotions and pain and, and pure rawness. But never feel that you're alone, and always reach out. Even you know, I had panic attacks the other week, and I wrote a post and said, "Is anybody there to talk to him in it?" Because it scared me, and that's me now. So it. It's still hard, but it's manageable and you'll learn so much coping mechanisms to 
enjoy the rest of your life because you shouldn't feel imprisoned or punished or anyway like this apart you, you need to be present mindful and happy as much as possible and last question i always ask this to my guests as always mm-hmm. imagine there's one person listening in maybe on the precipice of ending their life before you kill yourself what would you say to them I would say that yes it may feel like you are at rock bottom at the moment but the only way is up there is light light the sun will rise again you will feel and see light again you know that you're loved you're worthy you know somebody we we I don't care if you're a stranger and somebody called me and said, I'm about to kill myself. I would rather sit for hours on end trying to support somebody as much as I could possibly do before, you know, finding them the correct help than hear about it in the news or reading it in a paper or somebody informing me of that because... Yeah, you are so worthy and loved and mattered. And to anybody that's currently at that stage now, just reach out. And I always say, don't suffer in silence. Thank you so much for taking this time to share. Uh, Tell people where they can find your blog and connect with you. Um, I'm on Twitter. Um, that's where my blog is. Um, I think my username is, yeah, I don't even know, <laughs> KS44234. Uh, um, and my blog is there in my bio. Um, I'm on Instagram as Cara Sennett. Um, and again, on Instagram, I try and just share, you know, nature walks or inspirational posts and and things like that. Cara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help. We call on the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK. Or if you're international, like in England or Sri Lanka or Asia, there are international numbers listed in all of the show notes. So you can call, you can text, you can chat. There's someone who is willing to listen to you. And as I always say, you can call an enemy, call anybody, call customer service, but share your story. Let them know that you're not okay. And it's okay that you're not okay. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. If you are struggling with uh, feeling loneliness or abandoned, uh, or if you want to feel empowered and find meaning, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. And let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Car. Thank you very much, Leo. Really good.